0: Morning Tina and who do we have lined up for today?
1: Good morning, Darren. This morning we have Thomas Byrne. He is a barrister and solicitor, uh, a.k.a. a lawyer. Uh, he is located out of two offices, one in Cornwall and one in Kempville. He's been a lawyer for uh, 25 years and uh, is married with two kids, lives um, just outside of Kempville and uh, has a University of Ottawa and Wilfrid Laurier University degrees, I'm assuming. Maybe you can talk to us a little bit more about that. I'm very active in our community with Knights of Columbia Columbus and the Kemphill Youth Center. So welcome this morning Tom. Good
2: morning thank you.
1: So give us a little bit uh, about who you are. So I've given a little bit of overview but. uh,
2: Sure yeah so um, I'm uh, well 52 and as you said I'm married to live in Hexton with Joanne. Uh, The kids are uh, on their own now so I'm an empty nester and uh, got lots of uh, chickens and two cats at home and um, So yes, as you said, I have two offices, one in Kempville and one in Cornwall. And I have uh, started my career in uh, in Winchester, uh, working for a firm after uh, graduating and being called to the bar in 1993. And I worked there for about six and a half years, and then I moved to a practice in Cornwall, where I eventually bought the practice of a lawyer named Barry Wilson. And uh, so the firm there now is under the trade name of Wilson Byrne. Um Barry passed away a few years ago, and so I'm operating that myself. And uh, in 2005, I started a, a practice in Kempville area out of my home in Hexton. Joanne, my wife, is a legal secretary and she used to work for various other lawyers in Ottawa and around the area and we decided that to save her the commute and the expense of that and to make our home life better, she would, she would work for me and it was in fact her idea to have an office here huh. at the outset because it gave her a home job rather than traveling downtown and uh, it worked out well and uh, it coinc- coincided with uh, a, a growth and boom in in Kempville and a lot of development in Kempville so uh, the business was there to be to uh, be taken I guess to get a piece of that action and we did and uh, Then in 2014, I moved the office uh, downtown uh, to Prescott Street, where it is now. Okay. And I've been there for four years. Hmm.
1: Now, what does your business specialize in, your law firm specialize in?
2: So, interesting question, because I'm not allowed to say I'm a specialist in anything, because the law society regulates that word.
1: What do you focus on? So I
2: (laughs) I, I focus on two big focuses would be divorces uh family law is the more generic term uh, because that incorporates cases where people may not be married and then real estate and other solicitors work like people doing uh, wills and powers of attorney and and then the estates when people pass on and um but i will say something that my family law professor told us at school all law is family law which you know, really it's a mm-hmm. divorce law and uh in that um, we, these issues come up, whether it's in business or land deals or anything, um, the spells of relationships or the end of spousal of relationships often is a factor in the making of decisions and dealing with issues that come up.
1: I suspect, like when you're thinking family law, and you talk about you know family law and wills and estates. Well, realistically, that's still family, right? It certainly is. And, yeah. And real estate is still still that family component. Yes. So what uh, if you could pick sort of a favorite piece of your of your job? Is there something specific that you're like, yeah, I really like to get into that, or you know, delve into those types of things? Is there something?
2: Well, um, yes. Uh, lately, actually, I've had some interesting uh, real estate. Uh, problems, and uh, I guess I'm a history buff, so it doesn't relate directly to divorce law, but lately there's been some sort of historical um, title issues that I've been dealing with, and uh, I enjoy poring over old documents, which are boring to most people, but it's, it's uh, I'm like, um, uh, well, you see people that are into cars, they like rebuilding their 57 Chevy, so I like looking at a uh, old land deed from 200 years ago Um, Because it relates to the history of North Grenville. And I I get to see these old names that we Hmm. see in our community resonating even to this day in some of the documents. And you realize how the the flow of of land has flown through the generations and through people's
0: births, deaths, and divorces. Interesting. (laughs) You know, one thing I like about you, Thomas, I I saw it when you came to a presentation in front of the group uh, a few weeks back. You showed up and you had this book that was probably yeah. the size of, a, of the yellow pages, right, that you're looking through. And uh, I, lo- I love the fact that you're tactile, so you'll read a book rather than try to scan through digital copies of stuff. You like to get your hands on the book. I do, yeah. So I thought that was pretty fun That's to, to yeah, see yeah. that, that nuance yeah. about yourself, right? That's yeah. Neat.
1: Yeah. Um, so what's, I, I mean, I, I asked what you, um, you know, what you like as far as that goes, but what is, um, what do you love most about your career?
2: What I love most about it, I guess, is being able to help, help people, to help individuals. I started my career at a very big firm when I was an articling student and uh, working for a lot of uh, big corporations or, or remote clients, possibly even around the world, that you never meet and you just dealt with them electronically over, over the phone. Hmm. And uh, it was the early days of email, so it existed, but th- I don't think they gave email access to the students. Wow! <laughs> but we had, we did have really old computers, and uh, and uh, but the point is, um, I I didn't like not being able to meet people. It was very impersonal. So what mm. I like, what I really enjoy is the personal connection uh, with people, and that's why that's why ultimately I'm in a, a smaller community.
1: Mm. Yeah. Because you can make a difference in people's lives, yeah, right? you really
2: see that. You really make a big difference. And, I, and, and what I really uh, enjoy, what gives me great satisfaction is when someone at the end of an interview or the end of a case, they'll tell me, you know, I feel a lot better, Tom. You've mm-hmm. given me some direction. Now I know, you know, the lay of the land. And, you know, whether and this is a way forward. This is these are some ideas to work on. These are what this is what we can do and what we can't do. Sometimes you're telling people, frankly bad news. <laughs> right. You're in a, you're in a pickle, sir. But at least it uh, clarifies, um, their thinking and gives them a way a way forward you know? right yeah. yeah
1: what um let's talk specifically about divorce um and so what are some of the things you think that people make um that are mistakes when they're divorcing like is there are there anything specific are there general things or
2: yeah there are uh, a few mistakes common mistakes that people make um one would be which is somewhat counterintuitive to to the average person, but would be trying to settle it too fast, too quickly, mm-hmm. uh, settle their differences with their spouse before they have uh, gotten all the relevant financial information from the other spouse, and even looked at their own financial information. Quite often, people don't even have their own financial in- information in order, and uh, and then they, or even with their their lawyer, and this. Sp- the other spouse's lawyer they they come up with a uh, arrangement a deal too fast that turns out to not be appropriate right it turns out to have been unfair to someone including you know maybe themselves or the other person and then that just leads to future problems and likely litigation in the future when when the true facts come to light that something was unfair so if you have an unfair separation agreement or divorce settlement that tends to it just tends to not work there's no point in in uh, trying to do things too fast without the right information and there's certainly no point in trying to get the get an advantage over another person. Um, a, a mistake people make is um, another mistake which is related to that first mistake is not realizing that they don't have the information that they need and often there might be a power imbalance. One spouse basically has or controls all the information and the other spouse, just accepts what the other spouse is telling them and doesn't doesn't know to check things out themselves or get the professional help to do that. So, um, not getting your own financial information and your own financial advice before you make a settlement um, is is a big mistake. Hmm.
1: Like. I mean, I think that most people try to be fair, right? Uh, most. I, I, you you most, would see it way no, more most, than I most would. Most do. I
2: agree. Most do. Yeah. But,
1: but what yeah. constitutes fairness in a divorce? And how do you quantify that? Like, how do you...
2: Yeah, right. So uh, there are several elements, and one is going to be um, the, the property sharing scheme of the uh, Family Law Act. So there's a concept of equalization of net family properties. Okay. So the law says that when people are married, we can talk later about unmarried people, common law couples, which there are a lot of. But for those who are married, specifically in getting <coughs> going to get a divorce, whether whether sooner or later, but if you're married you um, are entitled to an equalization of net family properties, which in a nutshell means a sharing of the gain in net wealth of each party during the marriage, from the date they got married until the date they separated. And, and so that, that's a formula in the law, and there are various tweaks and exceptions to it, um, such as you don't have to share property you inherited from a third party, Um, often people's parents um, and you don't have to share damages that you got from a personal injury settlement for example if you had a car crash and then you you get a settlement out of that um, these things may not have to be shared with your spouse in the settlement so there are a few wrinkles to the equalization formula but the how it's quantified is by applying that formula the concept being that the theory of the law is that marriage is an equal partnership and, and so the gain in net wealth should be shared equally uh, throughout the marriage. And the good thing about that formula is the, uh, uh, that it saves the arguments that used to be the case 30 and more years ago about uh, the, so much of the roles in the marriage and that one person contributed more financially and the other person did not and arguing about the value of that, and people used to argue about that uh, a lot more, and um, whether that's, see, that's legally fair, whether it's fair to the person, different clients have different views on that, <laughs> subjective views, but that doesn't matter. It's generally speaking, unless there's some extreme circumstances, going to be a, a 50-50 sharing of the the gain in that well during the marriage. And the other aspects of a divorce settlement are um, if, there, if it's indicated, spousal support, and if there are children, child support. And mm-hmm. so there are, uh, there are legal guidelines that uh, we apply. So there are formula that apply to the incomes of people, basically, and the length of the relationship to, to help the lawyers decide uh, and to, if necessary, guide the court, if it's going to court as to what what are the appropriate spells of support and child support payments.
1: When you talk about those types of things, it seems pretty simple. 50-50. You went into the marriage with this, you come out of the marriage with the, the the half of the net gain, right? So why do you why do you hear so much about these divorces or separations taking forever because nobody can settle on it? If the law says this, why is it so complicated? And some of these... Divorces and separations go on for years. I don't understand that. Seems to me. Here we go.
2: Yeah, I would say that uh, actually it works quite well for. Um, I would say three quarters or even more more okay. of the cases. So I would say, I would say only ten or twenty percent of cases go on for years and years. But some reasons why would be. Um, I will say, personal conduct or personal misconduct. Some people are just very hard to deal with and don't want to accept the realities of what might be you know, a fairly straightforward settlement. In other words, they want to fight you tooth and nail. And so you, if, if someone wants to drag it out through the court for three or four years, frankly, it's pretty easy to do that if that's your strategy. And that is the strategy of some people to give their other spouse a hard time because it's a divorce is also a very emotional thing mm-hmm. um, also some people sort of the converse of that or the reciprocal of that is uh, some people um, they are not um, they're not motivated against the other spouse but they're too upset to deal with it themselves so I have people I've met people that have their head in their sand for for years and years and they don't deal with a problem um and i'll meet them and they they haven't dealt it's been years since they've separated they come in to see me 10 years later and they finally want to wrap things up and uh well it may be harder to get the information right now because they haven't done anything in 10 years it's sort of analogous to people who who haven't filed their income tax returns in 10 years or something like that, and and uh, often they're the same people, because then I have to say, okay, well, now we have to get your ducks in a row first before we can even broach the other side to, to get a settlement.
1: Right, because if you've had 10 years of gained assets, how do you determine what you had back 10 years ago?
2: Right, right, and and parsing that out, is it can be hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, other reasons why, in the in the in the cases that tend to drag out, would be um, if people have uh, business arrangements, if their owners of businesses uh, valuing those businesses can be uh, difficult, right. and and um, and quite frankly, there will always be a range of values uh, provided for a uh, for a business. And so, um, if someone owns a business and the business valuator tells you that well, it's worth uh, eight hundred thousand dollars, and then the other party will get a business valuator and they might say well, it's worth one point two million dollars, right? And then the the lawyers, with their clients' instructions, decide whether they. Are we going to split the difference? How are we going to deal with this? Are we going to split the difference? Or are we going to hold fast to our theory and we want the decision to be based on that value? And so then you you have to make a practical decision and uh, hopefully a practical decision, but not everyone does. Uh, and you look at how far apart the positions are and whether it is worth fighting uh, over that. And that's what I come down to with a client is, here's where we are. This is what, we'll, this is what it will cost to... Go forward from this. If we disagree and we can't split the difference to to determine who's right and who's wrong about this number, do you want to do that? And so, if if um, you know a difference of several hundred thousand dollars is you know objectively generally is worth arguing over. And so, if the people aren't worried about getting a quick settlement, then then they go to court and spend a f- couple of years in court arguing over that. And so that's why it can
0: can take a while.
1: Can you settle? Sorry, Darren. I'm asking all the questions. That's I, okay. I hope you're not yeah, like no, chomping I'm, at the piece to get in. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying this. Actually,
0: I'm, I'm listening to it all. It's great.
1: Can you settle pieces of it? So, for instance, you know, in my business with with doing mortgages and and you know dealing in the that world, you know, sometimes I look at the properties have been sold. That's great, but um, we need to know how much the uh, one spouse is paying in spousal support. So, our when there are pro uh, Problems or situations where you're, you know, high level financial situations are happening, can you settle a piece of it or do you have to settle it all at the same time?
2: The short answer is yes, you can settle things piecemeal. Yeah, okay. you can settle. Uh, and I often do encourage that. Um, and uh, so we can do a, uh, uh, what we call an interim separation agreement, a temporary settlement of some of the issues. Okay. or. Uh, to, more to your point, you can do a final separation agreement on certain issues or get a final court order on certain issues, okay. leaving others to be resolved another time. Okay. And so the answer is yes. Yeah, yeah.
1: Again, still, what they, they take time, no matter what. It takes time.
2: Everything takes some time, yes, yeah. yeah.
1: What would you like, ideally, to see a client come in to you with? They've just separated or they've been separated for a while. What would you like to see them bring to you?
2: Yeah, I'd like them to come in with uh, their income tax returns done for the last three years and the notices of assessment. I would like them to come in with uh, a list of their assets and debts. And even if that is handwritten by them to the best of their memory, that is at least something. But ideally, they would have their... Most recent quarterly statement from their investment company, or the annual the annual mortgage statement that from, you know that they got in February from their bank last year, um, things like that, that to to help uh, educate me, and to make it easier, I find that people often, frankly in a in an initial interview, um, they may be they may be a little bit nervous or anxious, so they they don't remember even some basic things Hmm. and it helps me out a lot if they bring it in writing
1: right when you say like the last three years financials are you talking about both people's or just well
2: yeah just the clients I I have to be kind of careful sometimes but if they can uh, on a cooperative way get the information from their ex spouse or spouse uh, then that is wonderful But I do not condone people sneaking around and stealing their ex's income tax returns or financial statements out of their filing cabinet. Yeah, Yeah. so I have to be careful about that. The the way I get it is I request it of of their lawyer.
1: Do you ever find people come to you together as a separating? Yes, they do. Yeah, they do,
2: or at least they they try to. And so we have to be very careful to avoid conflict of interest situations. I can only represent one person. So uh, many times, I a, a person calls me, and uh, some of them tell me they're bringing their spouse, which I I tend to discourage. Or some of them, <laughs> some of them, some of them don't tell me. They say they're coming in to see me, um, great Jane. I'll see you next week. But then she comes in with her partner or soon-to-be ex-partner, even, and and that is not okay. Even when they seem to have a very cooperative uh, separation yep. and a plan for their divorce. Uh, uh, it's just for many professional reasons it's just not okay. So, so uh, in limited circumstances what I do sometimes uh, is I could meet people on a limited retainer um, to help them work out their issues um, and then if we come to a plan together they would separately each see independent lawyers to do the final implementation of that right and i do that occasionally but i don't i have my own practice is not to encourage that because i'm not a professional mediator and i don't like to i don't like to do that i i prefer to be a straightforward lawyer for one of the parties right
1: mm-hmm. um I, there, I question, must say, though, there is yeah.
2: there is a branch of family law and divorce law called collaborative family law, okay. where people <clears throat> there are certain lawyers that practice in this uh, this mode of practice, where they make a pledge to not go to court, and they make a pledge to work collaboratively with the other side, and they basically sign a pact to work things out collaboratively, and. Um, that is sort of a philosophy in my profession or a subculture I'll call it where uh, they do it in that way I do not subscribe to that because I I believe that if need be there needs to be the resort to the court if need be and if an adversarial position sometimes is appropriate to be taken I am free to do that Um, but there are other people that that believe differently. And so I'm just making you aware
0: of that okay. uh, mode of practice. It's, it's more like a mediation almost, right? Yes. Like the style of of, yes. of, of, of divorce, right? But yeah.
1: Interesting. Um, earlier you touched mm. on common law versus married. Right. Can you maybe delve into that a bit sure,
0: more? Sure, yeah.
2: So um, everyone in society and including lawyers throws around that phrase, common law spouses. Um, which is slightly a misnomer, it's slightly archaic, uh, but it means people who have not gone through a legal marriage ceremony, gotten a license and been formally married in a a ceremony by a licensed marriage practitioner, whether that was a pastor or a justice of the peace, what have you. So, uh, you know, traditionally a common law marriage was uh, people in England 300 years ago would meet Mm. in the town square and say... uh, this is my wife and the lady would say this is my husband in front of the town and and we're married without any ceremony so we're common-law marriage so that was the that's the origin of the of the term so so today uh, what it tends to mean um, in Ontario's family law, there's a definition of spouse for for people who are not married which is people that have lived together for three years or one year if they have a child or even in a relationship of some permanence which is a very vague term which has been some cases have been just to be living together for a few months if they have a child so people can tend to, can be found to be common-law spouses after three years of marriage or of uh, living together for sure <coughs> but even you know one year if or even possibly less if they have a child together and what that creates is spousal support rights and obligations so after three years of uh, living together or one year with a child um, if they then separate um, to to make it simple the one with a greater income may have to support the one with the lesser income at least for a while, which would go back to the spousal support guidelines that we we, we talked about and um, earlier. So the other big difference is, generally speaking, those spouses, so spouses that that are common law spouses, do not have the automatic property sharing rights, property equalization rights that married people do. Okay. That doesn't mean, though, that they have no rights. They uh, they can still have uh, a claim to property uh, owned by the other person, uh, at least when I say owned titled to, when the name of the deed and the name of the documents is one person, the non-titled spouse still could have a claim based on their contribution. Uh, and it can be quite a significant claim. And um, so Tom, is that is that referred to as unjust entitlement? Um, unjust enrichment is right. is a concept, one of the legal right. concepts. Yeah. So the concept is that a a uh, two spouses have lived together, and then they separate, and you know typically we're talking about the house, and the uh, non titled spouse is typically the one who leaves, uh, and it would be unjust for them to be forced to walk away with no compensation for all the years of contribution and effort they have put into the Hmm. property and what 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 the law has emphasized in recent years is um non-financial contributions count and they can result in a financial result wow and so um many people i mean there's a there's a historic bias to this because of the historic traditional roles of the sexes in our society so many people traditionally men would have the house in their name and a lady would move in and then if the relationship breaks up um they would have expected the lady to walk away with nothing and uh the short version is the law won't abide that typically interesting uh and and but they will also it used to be thought that the non-financial contributions weren't weren't worth very much Um, but the law has emphasized in in recent years that they can be um, and even and this is what's come out from the supreme court about four or five years ago there was a a famous case or two cases were decided at the same time and one of them was from the ottawa area and it related to a high-tech business and there were common law spouses that were involved in a high-tech business so this uh, gentleman entrepreneur in ottawa or Canada probably had a high tech company that uh, went up to um, several millions of dollars from um, maybe a million or two. And he had a long time common law spouse. And when they broke up, uh, she made a claim against that business too. And the uh, short version is, although she didn't get half, as she would have had they been married, she got a substantial claim because she did all the uh, entertaining hosting for the business and you know for him and his business and the court viewed that her contributions did not just contribute to the home they they contributed to his business career too right and so now the burden the burden of is on the spouse claimant to prove it because they don't have the the marriage certificate to say i'm married therefore i have a claim they have to prove the claim but the claim can
0: be there wow yeah. Cool. Now, speaking of uh, <clears throat> um, assets and whatnot, there's. I know sometimes I get clients asking me this question, which uh, is about um, exclusive uh, exclusive possession of of the marital home. So, right. what they're asking me indirectly is, can I kick my spouse out? Right. right. So, can you speak a little bit about? Sure. That? Yeah. The the law is very clear
2: on that. Is that when people are married, and again, this only applies to legally married people, which is very problematic for the common laws. But sticking with the uh, married people, uh, the law gives each married person the right to possession of the matrimonial home. So the short answer is you cannot just kick your spouse out. You can't do it, not lawfully. You need either an agreement or a court order. And I've seen uh, many cases where people, uh, they either by circumstance or by agreement, share a matrimonial home during the divorce process for a year or two, because they've uh, mutually agreed to live what we call separate and apart in the same house, right. which can be done, and the law recognizes that. Uh, as long as you're not you know carrying on your normal married life, you're living separate and apart, you need not have a physical separation to be separated in law. Um, so um, if uh, I often get that question too, and, and uh, you've got to come to an arrangement, an agreement, that one person is going to move out, or you've got to go to court and get a court order.
1: Are those easy to get?
2: um ultimately they're not easy to get i would be wrong Mm -hmm. to say that but ultimately ultimately they will be gotten but it might take some time because the court the court is loath to make a quick decision to throw people out of their own home but eventually on the other hand they'll always say someone's got to go or sometimes um the judge will uh, say, well, there's an impasse, and so actually the house is going to go. The house will be sold. Everyone's
0: moving out. Oh, yeah. Get your own places, folks. Right. Mm-hmm. That happens, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was kind of a checklist, I guess, that they go through, like, a, like I guess, depending on how the relationship's going. <laughs>
1: yeah, you would,
2: you would look at so some people can be, you know, quite civil and get along well, and others, others are very, uh, very uh, fractious. Uh, and also whether or not there are children involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there are children, the court will be more loath to uh, throw out a spouse or to order the sale of the home. But again, eventually the, the, the house has to go in most in most cases if they can't agree on what, what we're gonna do with the house, which is typically one person acquiring the house from the other person. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say this, Tina, you asked, is it easy to get? In a minority of cases where there is um, violence, abuse, right. something like that, mm-hmm. then you could go to court on a relative emergency basis and get a court order removing um, removing the other spouse, getting exclusive possession. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and in extreme cases, if there's been abuse, what, what, what I would tell my client, if they haven't already done so, is they should call the police if there's yeah. been a crime. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, that can result in criminal charges, which will result in, in the abuser remo- being removed from the home. And, and frankly, in the bad cases, that is the practical way to get the spouse
0: out of the house. Yeah. So, Tom, here's a good question, and I'm, I'm, I wondered about it myself, but in common law relationships, right, is there something that, that common law partners could do to kind of uh, improve their position as far as their claim towards assets, right? Like, let's say, you know, the marriage or the common law relationship's breaking down, and one of the spouses is thinking to themselves, i got to get out of this, or I'm planning to exit this, this relationship, Right. What are some things for a common law relationship that you say to the spouse? You know, there's something that they could do to kind of uh, reinforce their position on claiming on some assets, right? So that they don't they don't end up being destitute, right? Because I I know you spoke briefly about the home, but is there anything else that a client could do or a, a family member could do as far as their claim on other assets than the house? Right. My my first answer is. going to be to
2: have a cohabitation agreement but that may be too late on the premise of your question if things are already Mm -hmm. going going badly Uh, but but not always I am I am sometimes consulted by people that are frankly thinking about ending the relationship or they they think that their spouse might be thinking of that so they Mm -hmm. come in Early enough to get ahead of it, and uh, it may be possible to get a cohabitation agreement to document the share and entitlement of the non titled person to the assets, whether it 's the house or whether it's a business or something mm. else there's there are many people that I've met that they've been working in their partners' business for years and years, but it's not really properly documented also they may not have been properly uh, paying um, you know they might not um, they might not be properly on the books of the company, as it were, right. for various reasons, which can come back to bite the spouse, unfortunately, if they, when they break up. So that's one thing. And the, but the other thing is, if it's too late to get a cohabitation agreement, it would be to start documenting yourself what evidence you do have of your contribution so that you're at least well-armed mm-hmm. if you do need to go to court to prove the contribution.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good, that's a good point, <laughs> you know, that the person can actually start planning I mean, planning their exit. I know it sounds kind of <laughs> <crass>. premeditated,
1: <laughs> Pre-med- right? That's what but I was at the thinking. Same time, yeah. it, like yeah. for
0: people who are in cohabitate like who are cohabitating, yeah. who are not legally married, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, if you're thinking about exiting, I think the the knee knee jerk reaction could probably work against them, like the way that the system's designed yeah. right now. So a little bit of premeditation would probably help them a long yeah. way if they it if they of, did it can that. Can help them. And and frankly, most people are. Uh, find
2: it less crass and it's they they can functionally do this if uh, if they are people that have been through a divorce previously there are a lot of people so I'm talking about we call them you know second marriage people they're on their second relationship and uh, since they've been through it they uh, they understand and it's easier to have these conversations with them uh, beforehand uh, you know Go ahead. No. Well,
1: no. I mean, there's so many questions. I think I could keep asking, and I, I you know, I, at some point in time, we're going to be told to shut this down. But I think we're okay right now. Yeah, yeah um, I think we're good. So, like, w- prenups. How how do they help? Do they help? Can oh, they? They
2: help immensely. Yeah. So, so um, uh, prenups is uh, sort of the uh, American slang. So I like to use the the Canadian terms. Would be. Uh, domestic contracts right? okay. which are either uh, uh, cohabitation agreements which we apply to the common law spouses or marriage contracts to those people that are are married or thinking of getting married. So um, we um, we can do these contracts at any time, but usually they're before a couple gets together and they help by identifying, the parties rights and expectations and where appropriate limiting the rights and expectations uh, if they should break up and so that basically provides a roadmap for what's going to happen if we should if we should break up and so they are
0: they are immensely helpful and are highly underused <laughs> yeah i think i think one of the challenges with the uh, uh prenups or, or or the contracts themselves is it i think I know when I speak to people in general, not ones that are going through divorce, but just people in general, they think that they're designing something for the failure of the relationship, right. you know, like they're already thinking about, the, right. about it, right? right. And, I, and what I always, I my response to that is, would you walk in and buy any type of product? Would you walk in and buy a, a car and with no contract, just walk in and throw cash down on the table with no recourse whatsoever? Mm-hmm. of course the car is beautiful you don't you know you, you don't expect it to break down right. you don't expect problems to happen to the car but you would never walk into a dealership and say here's my fifty thousand dollars or twenty thousand dollars for this car drive off the lot because you know like two weeks later it breaks down on you and you're like what's my recourse right. I've got zero because I have nothing in writing so yeah. when people look at it through that lens they're like yeah okay I don't want it to break down right I want this car to drive for 10 years with no problems yeah. but if it does I've got recourse, yeah.
1: And obviously, people don't get prenups if they've got nothing, right? Yes. <laughs> like, oh, the, yeah, here's,
0: the, the, here's a functional, yeah. <laughs> mean, functional reality yeah. is if you're
2: uh, if you're uh, young and have nothing, uh, if uh, you know a couple comes and they're 22 years old and getting married, it's it's not you know it's not needed. That's right. a reality, and that's what I, I, I would tell people. Um, but uh, but even in those cases. Um, Quite often, the motivator of prenups are the parents and not the married couple mm. themselves. Oh. So I spend a lot of my time hmm. uh, dealing with what I call, you know, helicopter parent issues. Hmm. So typically, and I've, I've seen this a few times, um, a young couple will come in or again just one of them again often it's often a young couple will come into my office and then I have to explain why well, I can only see one of you so we have that chat but the reason they're there is because one of them expects to get a big inheritance right. in the next 10 to 20 30 years and And daddy owns a business and wants to give it to his daughter or son, but not if their spouse might get a piece of it. Mm -hmm. And so I have been told many times by clients, I don't really want to, and I don't want to limit my wife's or husband's share, but my father is making me do this. Right. So then I have to go through a process to make sure even my own client is acting of their own free will. And in rare cases, I have to tell a parent to politely back off (laughs) 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 Uh, but you know that usually doesn't happen but I have but I will will say that so I agree with your point Tina that if you're if you have nothing that a prenup is not indicated Mm -hmm. but there are people that anticipate getting quite a bit and they have Mm -hmm. nothing when they're 25 but when they're 45 50 they are going to
1: right and you you said something about that um Quite a bit ago, at towards the beginning of the of the podcast, um, about um, equalization of assets and yes. fair uh, equalization of assets, and you said in in situations where they've been willed or gifted money or something like right. that from a parent. Now you you spoke to this when you spoke to the group itself about that. Can you sure. explain how that doesn't get absorbed into the net family assets?
2: So when you the formula of the law. Uh, sets out a formula for the uh, equalization, and uh, it basically says you you first calculate your net family property, which is your net worth on the date of separation from which you subtract your net worth on the date you got married. Um, um, but uh, from the top line, you can cut out or exempt a few things, and things. Th- some examples off the top of my head would be uh, Gifts or inheritances from third parties, such as people's parents, uh, or uh, you know, personal injury damages settlements, something like that, and so that's how that's how the law indicates that gets cut out, so they don't go in your net calculation. But um, and and that would include you know uh, that would include on the face of it shares in a business that was inherited or something like that, but. Um, the reason why I don't like to totally rely on that uh, and I would indicate a, a prenup be done is because what can tend to happen is people will take money uh, that they have uh, gained from some otherwise exempt way and they will put it into the matrimonial home right. for example and lose the exempt status from it okay. or they will, they will put it through accounts with their spouse and so there this k point is often litigated and there are cases on both sides of it if someone gets inherited money and then they put it in a joint account and then later transfer it out to buy some asset buy a cottage and then it gets bought and sold and that gets put into something else you may there is a provision in the law for what's called tracing of funds and if you can trace the exempt money right through to the present day, even though it's gone through different forms, you may be able to maintain the exemption. But that can get hard to do, and it's so much easier to just have it in a prenup that this is all exempt to to make it crystal clear. It also, the prenup also has the the effect of um, governing or educating people's intentions and expectations So that they they know beforehand um, what might happen. Um, So prenups are not a guarantee that you will not have any squabbling if you get divorced. But they sure help. They sure help clarify things a lot. So Darren, you were were mentioning before you wouldn't buy a car without warranty. I, I would also use the analogy, I don't want my house to burn down tonight. I really, really don't. But I do pay my insurance company. Every month, just in case it happens. It's great. And and, uh, so that's that's what it is, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, Unfortunately, we are trained as lawyers. We are told when I go to seminars, uh, the doing of a prenup, unfortunately, can lead to the breakup of relationships in approximately thirty percent of the time because it is not romantic. It is not, as you were saying, Darren. It is not a conversation that people like to engage in because they think you are planning for failure or you know intending failure you're not and we as professionals know that but unfortunately it's just too emotional for some people to deal with and so it doesn't doesn't work out
1: yeah i have a client that's that had a prenup and so when it came um when it came to the division of of assets at the separation she was trying to get his name off the mortgage and um, it was cut and dry Uh, the lawyer or the lender did not require any separation agreement because it was cut and dry Uh, however there had been some debt that uh, as part of the prenup um, the the spouse was to pay and has dug his heels in and so now we're like you know we are months and months and months later after we thought everything was cut and dry ready to go lender was quite happy with this prenup and we're still not done. Yeah, well, yeah
2: so the prenup is working I can tell in that example as it is designed it, it is uh, so on paper it's perfect and that it makes the lender happy because it's clear what the financial obligation is of the of the spouses and so your, your client was you know able to make their mortgage arrangements on that but the trouble is the person isn't honoring their obligations right and so you know then they have to like any contract you then have to implement it and live up to it so that's what you're arguing about in that in that case so that there, people will be people and some people will not honor their obligations and so there you are
1: yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) yeah um Do we have time for more questions or?
0: Um, Well, we're kind of wrapping up. We're getting close to about the 40 minute mark. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: So just maybe one little question you sort of asked me to ask you, um, what have you seen? What are the changes over the last 25 years that you've seen in your career regarding divorce?
2: Sure. Um, The single biggest change I would see is the proportion of women with incomes that equal or exceed that of their male spouses. And so, much lessening of uh, litigation or negotiation over spousal support, because women are much more in the economy and have their own economic independence than they used to, and um, that would be one thing. And the other thing is the expectation, uh, the expectations. So. Uh, that marriage is forever, and although it 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 was there was divorce at the beginning of my career, hmm. so mm-hmm. there's been divorce since
1: 1968. So that, that hasn't changed. That, that <laughs> hasn't changed. But the
2: <laughs> but the but the, uh, but the uh, I would say the making use of the divorce law, getting getting divorced, there's less stigma to it than there used to be, hmm. and simply put, the millennials and younger don't think they don't think they don't think marriage is forever I know like like the uh boomers and and Gen Xers did so much. Mm -hmm. And and uh although, you know, they too can get divorced and they do, uh uh it it is more uh frankly I observe emotionally traumatic and significant for the older people than the younger people. Mm. Younger people
1: Live in a disposable society. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I'm not
0: going down that road. I'm not going that <laughs> uh, You know what? Our I, producer yeah. is very close <laughs> to that, 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 <laughs> that demographic.
1: <laughs> On no, I, I, that happy note. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I, I mean, I've heard of people go yeah. like, oh, yeah. well, I'm getting married. Are you yeah. really wanting to get married? Oh, yeah, well, if it doesn't work out, we'll just get divorced. That's right. And it's yeah. that carefree yeah. sort of, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's a, a totally different, a different, different mindset. mindset. Yeah. Well, I, yeah.
0: hope, I hope it's not quite that disposable yet. Yeah. But, well, but I, but I, I, I the know statistics. what you're saying. Like it, it is, yeah. Because And I think one of the things I noticed recently is I was lo- I was reading through and trying to pick through some of the statistics that I've read, I've right. read in certain articles. And I, I think one of the challenges of, in understanding the, the data and the analytics of it is that, yes, the younger generations... Prior to the boomers, are less inclined to be actually legally married. Okay. So, so it's kind of hard to get a real number mm. on the on the statistics of divorce now going forward because less and less people are doing that, right? Absolutely. Okay. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. So, but I'm, I'd, I'd be, I would probably, I would probably be very inclined to make a bet that it's still the same. The same number, Like even if you're taking right. uh, divorcing clients and, and common law who get separated, um, I would think the statistics are probably almost the same, even though the legal documents aren't there. I don't mm-hmm. know. That's, that would be my, my, my opinion. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. I mean, relationships are pretty much they life hasn't changed in 200,000 years, really, when you think about it. Right. It's a it's a opportunity mixed with some challenges and relationships are the same way. You know whether you yeah. put a, a, a piece of paper in front of somebody or not it's a relationship and then there's it either works or it doesn't and when it doesn't there's things that happen so yeah. you know anyways yeah that's my right. two cents for today yeah well thank
1: you so much for joining us today You're very it's welcome. been really informative there's lots of information that I've taken away from yeah. it I really appreciate it's that one of my
0: favorite ones so far yeah. so how, does, how yeah. do people get in touch with you so
2: you can uh, call me uh, Six one three two five eight one two seven seven. My website is thomasmburnlawyer.ca
0: and uh, the email link is there. And they could also get a hold of you through and Divorcenet. Through Divorcenet. Yeah. yeah, and you've got a blog up there as well that we that was that went up recently, and I think it was a little bit about prenups, right? So yes, yeah, that was a really great article. I'm glad you expanded on that, and I think we'll wrap it up yeah. from there, right, Tina? That's great. Yes, great. Thanks, Tom, for being on the show. Thank You're you. very welcome.
1: You've been listening to Clean Break, our weekly podcast on divorce. You can find this and other great advice from divorce professionals at divorcenet.ca, where we upload audio, video, and blog content every week.